Welcome to the Frontier Space Podcast, a show about how satellites, space technology, and exploration are transforming the solar system, with your host, Coleman Lutz. Plunging into 60 seconds in space. Did you guys know that half of all star systems in the Milky Way galaxy are made of pairs or triplets of stars? We discovered that rust or oxidized metal actually blocks more radiation by weight than anything else and it reduces weight by 30% or more. And so researchers recently discovered that 360 million years ago, Earth's ozone layer collapsed for a short period of time. They found bizarre UV damage to DNA plant cells within Bolivian rocks. This unfortunate event annihilated much of the Earth's plant and freshwater aquatic life. Seriously think about this question, how can our species think long term and better prepare for the next mass extinction? The entrepreneur we're about to hear from is Fatima Hamdani. She's the co-founder and president at Cross Hamdani Aerospace, a startup developing a fully electric, zero emissions, non-stop UAS aircraft with infinite airborne endurance. (laughs) How about that? Greetings, Fatima. It's our absolute pleasure to have you here today on the Frontier Space Podcast. Hey, Cole. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. I'm really excited. Absolutely. I look forward to our discussion. What inspired you to get into uh, ultra-long endurance um, (laughs) UAS, unmanned aerial systems? (laughs) I know. That's a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. Um, um, My business partner's passion in life has been aerospace. I think he built his first glider plane when he was seven years old. So when we came together and we knew, and we actually came together on a different joint venture and our first ever one hour meeting turned into a six hour meeting. And we kind of knew that there was a meeting of minds and and that we'd be working together for a long time. That was almost four and a half years ago. Um, And even in the first meeting, he brought up the aspect of we should look into drones and, and, you know, explore what's happening in that market. At that point of time, I came from a digital transformation, big data intelligence world. So I was like, drones, let's think about this. (laughs) And when we started looking into that space, there were four glaring issues that kind of were set up perfectly for disruption or were begging for disruption, so to speak. And these were how far the unmanned aerial vehicle or system can fly how long it can stay up in terms of endurance, how easy is it to integrate things into the UAV and for the UAV to be integrated into other assets that are deployed based on the mission that you are on. Um, And then finally, how easy is it to operationalize it so that at the end of the day, you're able to get the data and intelligence that you need, so actionable intelligence so that you can make better decisions. The mission of my company actually aligns with that, which is bridging that gap between data and decision so that lives can be saved and truly creating that intelligence across sea, land, air, and space. I I love the mission you guys are on, and and I think um, it it will be very impactful. um, I was wondering, what, what were some of the most challenging moments over there at, at Cross Aerospace? 
challenging moments. I think um, as a startup, as a small business, the challenging moments never stop, right? Especially when you're bootstrapped. We're a self-funded organization. We're raising capital now, uh, specifically because we're post-revenue. We have platforms in production. So to sum it up, obviously capital and talent, I think, which a lot of the organizations will kind of touch upon that. But for us, more than anybody else, we're constantly, those are some of the things that we're, um, and then you go out with a mission where we want to build UAVs that can fly nonstop. Uh, we're setting ourselves up for some of the biggest challenges that PhD level folks have been trying to solve for and we've solved for already. So, so yes, we, we, we go after big, hairy, audacious problems and then solve them. Incredible. Um, and could you elaborate more on what you mean by nonstop and what you guys are planning uh, to help really reach that um, operating capacity? <laughs> Cole, how long is this uh, call going to be? Because you're touching on some questions that have pretty long answers. But <laughs> let me let me try and and and. Uh, so one of the things when you are talking about endurance, right, there is distance that you have to kind of account for. And then how do you go beyond line of sight from the operator is the other aspect of it, right? So how we're looking at it is we're creating an IP-based IoT infrastructure across all altitudes. What I mean by that is a sensor is a sensor is a sensor. It's an IoT device. So if I can fly at different altitudes perpetually and nonstop, and I'll come, come back and explain nonstop, um, and have carried different types of sensors and payload so that I can layer in that data across these different altitudes, starting at say few hundred feet going up to 65 to 85,000 feet AGL, and not only, grow, uh, not only being able to fly at these higher altitudes, but also continue to support larger payloads, heavier payloads or sensors is a game changer. Today, use cases that can only use geospatial data because of uh, you know, how long they want it for, the kind of uh, affordability and other aspects, suddenly you're changing the game by bringing in UAVs that can fly perpetually at different altitudes carrying different sensors that can actually rival the sensors that you might carry on a satellite. So that's where the motivation comes in. Now talking about nonstop or perpetual. Um, we also think of ourselves as a power and energy management company, right? Because that's the key on a UAV. How are you handling power and energy to be able to fly perpetually? So we do it in a two-pronged approach. One is we create surplus energy on board by using multiple energy sources. So for example, we are integrating some of the best in-class triple junction photovoltaic cells or solar panels. And our aircraft architecture is optimized for carrying those. In addition, we're looking and working with say Army Research Lab on nuclear power cells so that uh, right now the isotopes that are being used are we can trickle charge stuff for larger birds things like ram air turbines so the u.s air force has written a white paper about our power management decision system that allows us to integrate these multiple energy sources and create surplus energy on board simultaneously what is extremely unique to us 
is our IP in terms of our, our ability to do biomimicry. So when you look at birds that fly long distance, they're not constantly flapping their wings. They're using environmental conditions to their advantage. And that's exactly what we do. We're constantly, we have multiple sensors on board that are constantly monitoring environmental conditions and identifying things like the center of a thermal, the heat that rises up from the ground up. That is what the birds used to fly. That is what we used to fly. If you've ever been in a glider plane, that's exactly what a glider plane, but we algorithmically feed that back into the autopilot and are able to continuously detect a center of thermal. In addition, we're looking at things like wind shear on top of an ocean. So for example, when an albatross is flying over the ocean, it uses the temperature difference between the wind uh, and then things like orographic lift near mountains or valleys. So we're constantly monitoring that. Along with that, where we're eventually also taking it as our ability to fly in a swarm so you can optimize flight. So for example, just the other day, we had a six hour flight where we were flying at 11,000 feet AGL above ground level. Um, we had initially consumed maybe, I think 10% of our battery, lithium ion. We, we carry lithium ion similar to what a Tesla would have on board uh, to do our use thrust to uh, gain altitude. Once we started identifying thermals and using our photovoltaics to recharge our battery, we were at full charge and flying and using thrust maybe 10% of the time. So essentially after flying six and a half hours, we still had full charge on our battery. So we could have continued on. So now multiply that by what's happening in the real world. If I'm flying where I have, I start off at 6 a.m. in the morning where sun comes out, flight from six to six, which is 12 hours. I have six hour flight on battery. So when the sun goes down, I have additional six hours remaining on my battery. That's 18 hours of flight already. And so you guys are targeting a, um, around an 18 to 24 hour operating. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and eventually nonstop. So what we, so we're creating a family of aircraft. Amazing. Um, uh, my next question is, I was wondering what kind of spectral bands uh, do you plan to image in and at what uh, spatial resolution? Here's what's interesting, right? Um, this question is relevant to our electro-optical and infrared um, payloads. We carry multiple other payloads and I'll go into that. But essentially, um, the higher we go, the more we can see. So we can zoom out to 50 degrees field of view to have a massive focal lens or narrow it to three degree field of view with a 30x optical zoom. The higher we go, the more we see on the 50 degree field of view. Also, let's compare this to something else, right? When we talk about um, geospatial data, satellite data versus us flying at say, 40,000 feet AGL, 60,000 feet AGL, 70,000 feet AGL, we are going to have better resolution than any satellite data that you can get. And as we increase our payload capability or swap as we call it, size, weight and power, um, you know, ability on the aircraft, we will be able to continuously carry larger and larger gimbal. We also fly synthetic aperture radar, or we will be, we are integrating right now IMSAR and we'll be flying that. We can see hundreds of miles. When we are flying a signals intelligence payload, we can hear for hundreds of miles. 
So what your question earlier was um, the spatial resolution that, you know, your, your question was more geared towards full motion video, but we have a whole spectrum, no pun intended, of payloads that we can carry, right? Um, so it all depends on what we're carrying, but we are, we, because our, we have the ability to fly at different altitudes, we fly at the most optimal altitude depending on what needs to be captured and what payload. Would you like to take a break real quick? <laughs> water, water break. And um, I was wondering what kind of uh, applications do you guys believe your services will be most kind of oriented around initially? Sure. Um, let me first kind of take a step back for a second in that before I answer that. If you've noticed, I haven't used the word drone at all during our conversation. Um, and the reason for that is I want to create a differentiator between rotary devices or quadcopters, the one that you could go out to Best Buy and pick up, or DJI, which is commonly known or utilized. Um, th those are the drones that a lot of people are aware of, or the larger aircraft that we see on news that are, you know, uh, way bigger um, than a, a regular size aircraft. We are addressing, because we're flying nonstop or perpetually, or that's where we're going, and uh, long distances, we cater beautifully to use cases requiring coverage over large areas. And that's why when we start with, so for example, we're working with defense, again, with the mission to save lives, whether that be warfighters, civilians, wildlife anti-poaching, search and rescue, disaster relief, I can create a mesh network of communication, a fairly long distance mesh network for comms relay. So for example, if my mesh network was flying when the hurricane hit uh, Puerto Rico, I could have created wireless bubbles and comms bubbles within a week of the hurricane. A lot of times when disaster happens because of the comms going down is one of the massive issues for relief work there. Similarly, I'm involved in a wildlife anti-poaching project in Zimbabwe. Everybody's using synthetic data. I can provide real-time data for long endurance flights. Changes the game completely. So yes, numerous use cases in defense, impact, and commercial. Love to hear this. Um, <laughs> would you like to take a break real quick? <laughs> water, water break. And so if there are any listeners who would like to support your mission, what kind of partners and areas of improvement are you looking for? Um, so we are definitely building tech for good, right? I mean, that, that aspect. And then we are, um, when, when we're looking to do some pretty relevant high altitude mission, we're always looking for payload or sensor partners. Currently we carry electro-optical, infrared, signals intelligence, communication provisioning, payloads, synthetic aperture radar, aerial radiation, biological warfare agents, and chemical weapon detection uh, sensors, whammy, wide area motion imaging. But we're constantly looking for partners to integrate um, scientific instruments, sensors, systems, high altitude payload uh, testing for exotic payloads, ozone and atmospheric sensors for precision climate change monitoring. We do our own battery configuration. We were exploring liquid lithium ion battery cells to put into the wings. 
eventually our aim is to also fly um, on Mars, we'd be able to do way better monitoring um, of Mars than a rover uh, that's deployed on Mars might be able to do, or in conjunction with that. So sensors that can truly go on. And I'm looking for capital. <laughs> so somebody who has the vision to truly uh, come on this journey with us and help us build a billion dollar business that is a mission and vision driven billion dollar business. Awesome. I was wondering how, how might um, the three-eighths gravity of Mars influence the engineering and, and capacity of, of your aircraft? So um, we obviously, uh, the, the less the gravity, the life, our life becomes easier, right? And the heavier the payload, we fly faster. The trick in terms of flying um, you know, over Mars or in the Mars atmosphere is the air density, essentially. Uh, so the trick is not gravity, it's the air density. The air density is way thinner um, in Mars than anywhere else. Um, and when we are flying, the airflow over the wings is the key component. So uh, with the air density being so low, it's harder to fly. But this is what we have built our entire organization on, right? Um, or and being able to also support higher altitudes. When I talk about the stratospheric and when we are designing our high altitude pseudo-satellite platform, that will fly at 65 to 85,000 feet AGL. Again, no atmosphere there. You know, there is stratospheric winds, but the air density is extremely, extremely low even there. So uh, the way our aircraft is flying, it kind of optimizes of that we have an extreme lift to drag ratio of 31 is to one this means we fly 31 meters forward and drop one without thrust just glide mars has one hundredth of the atmosphere of earth we can develop specialized wings and airfoils that can optimally fly in these conditions and that's where our ambition to fly um you know perpetually on mars comes from incredible how much of it, if you guys, um, if your aircraft supports um, offboard uh, power transmission, how much um, of how much power do you think would um, would you receive? So that question is slightly, maybe not completely relevant to us because we generate our own right. power right on board using the photovoltaics. Um, and we've really optimized literally the triple junction photovoltaics that we carry are usually carried on uh, space-based mission. And however I can support you guys later down the road, I, I would love to uh, be there. I appreciate that. Thank you, Cole. Thanks for saying that. Really Thanks do. Out. It is folks like you that kind of makes all of this, you know, worthwhile. Uh, <laughs> you, you don't, yeah, you, you don't like, you need an, a, a village to, do and think the kind of vision each one of us has and coming together as a community to support each other is key. That's one of the reasons why we are big contributors to the RGOPlane-based community. A lot of our code before it becomes RIP, there is a whole large community that's testing it constantly for us. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, was there anything else that, that uh, you'd like to mention? 
Um, I think uh, we covered quite oh, you know, a lot of ground. <laughs> Again, no pun intended. Um, but if there was anything you'd like to touch on and, you know. No, we'll um, keep up your jokes and or, or puns. <laughs> um, all right. Well, well, thanks so much, Fatima, for uh, being on our podcast today. Thank you for having me uh, and keep up the good work. Thanks.